Chapter 68 of Varney the Vampire, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tom Powers. Varney the Vampire, Volume 2, by Thomas Prescott Prest. Chapter 68. Marchdale's Attempted Villainy, and Its Result. Barney the Vampire left the dungeon of Charles Holland amid the Grey Runes, with a perfect confidence the young man would keep his word, and not attempt to escape from that place until the time had elapsed which he had dictated to him. And well might he have that confidence, for, having once given his word that he would remain until he heard, the clock strike two from a neighboring church, Charles Holland never dreamt for a moment of breaking it. To be sure, it was a weary time to wait when liberty appeared before him but he was the soul of honor, and the least likely man in all the world to infringe in the slightest upon the condition which he had, of his own free will, acceded to. Sir Francis Varney walked rapidly, until he came nearly to the outskirts of the town, and then he slackened his pace, proceeding more cautiously, and looking carefully about him, as if he feared to meet anyone who might recognize him. He had not proceeded far in this manner, when he became conscious of the cautious figure of a man gliding along in the opposite direction, that which he was taking. A suspicion struck him from the general appearance that it was Marchdale, and if so, he wondered to see him abroad at such a time. Still, he would not be quite certain, but he hurried forward so as to meet the advancing figure, and then his suspicions were confirmed, and Marchdale, with some confusion in his looks and manners, accosted him. Ah, Sir Francis Varney, he said. You are out late. Why, you know I should be out late, said Varney. And you likewise know the errand upon which I was to be out. Oh, I recollect you were to release your prisoner. Yes, I was. And have you done so? Oh, no. Oh, indeed. I... I am glad you have taken better thought of it. Good night, good night. We shall meet tomorrow. Adieu, said Sir Francis Varney, and he watched the retreating figure of Marchdale, and then he added, in a low tone to himself, I know his object well. His craven spirit shrinks at the notion, a probable enough one, I will admit, that Charles Holland has recognized him, and that, if once free, he would denounce him to the Bannerworths, holding him up to scorn in his true colors, and bringing down on his head, perhaps, something more than detestation and contempt. The villain, he is going now to take the life of the man whom he considers chained to the ground. Well, well, they must fight it out together. Charles Holland is sufficiently free to take his own part, although Marchdale little thinks such is the case. Marchdale walked on for some little distance, and then he turned and looked after Sir Francis Varney. Indeed, he said. So you have not released him tonight, but I know, well, we'll do so soon. I do not, for my part, admire this romantic generosity which sets a fox free at the moment that is most dangerous. It's all very well to be generous, but it is better to be just first, and that, I consider, means looking after one's self first. I have a poniard here, which will soon put an end to the troubles of the prisoner in his dungeon. Its edge is keen and sharp, and will readily find a way to his heart. 
He walked on quite exultingly and carelessly now, for he had got into the open country, and it was extremely unlikely that he would meet anybody on his road to the ruins. It did not take many minutes' sharp walking now to bring him close to the spot which he intended should become such a scene of treacherous slaughter, and just there he heard from afar off something like the muttering of thunder, as if heaven itself was proclaiming its vengeance against the man who had come out to slay one of its best and noblest creatures. "'How is that?' said Marchdale, shrinking back a moment. "'How is that, an approaching storm?' It must be so, for now, I recollect me, the sun set behind a bank of clouds of fiery redness, and, as the evening drew in, there was every appearance in the heavens of some instruing strife of the elements. He listened for a few moments, and fixed his eyes intently in the direction of the horizon from where the muttering sounds had proceeded. He had not long to wait before he saw a bright flash of blue lightning, which, for one instant, illumined the sky. Then, by the time he could have counted twelve, there came the thunder which the flash preceded, and he felt terribly anxious to complete his enterprise, so that he might get back to the town and be safely housed before the storm, which was evidently approaching, should burst upon him. "'It is sweeping on apace,' he said. "'Why did I not come earlier?' Even as he spoke, he plunged among the recesses of the ruins, and, searching about for the old stone which covered the entrance to the dungeon, he was surprised to find it rolled from its place and the aperture open. "'What is the meaning of this?' he said. "'How negligent of Sir Francis Varney, or perhaps, after all, he was only jesting with me, and let the prisoner go. If that should be the case, I am foiled indeed. But surely he could not be so full of indiscretion.' Again came a dazzling flash of lightning, which now, surrounded by the runes as he was, made him shrink back and cover his eyes for a moment, and then followed a peal of thunder, with not half the duration of time between it and the flash which had characterized the previous electric phenomenon. The storm approaches fast, said Marchdale. I must get my work done quickly, if indeed my victim be here, which I begin seriously to doubt. He descended the intricate winding passage to the vault below, which served the purpose of a dungeon. And when he got very nearly to the depths of the recesses, he called aloud, saying, Ho! What ho! Is anyone here? Yes, said Charles Harlan, who fancied it might be his former visitor returned. Have you come to repent of your purpose? Ah, said Marchdale to himself. Sir Francis, after all, has told me the truth. The prisoner is still here. The light from without was not near sufficient to send the least ray into the depths of that dungeon, so that Marchdale, when he entered the place, could see nothing but an absolute darkness. It was not so, however, with Charles Holland, whose eyes had been now so long accustomed to the place that he could see in it as if a dim twilight irradiated it, and he at once in his visitor saw his worst foe, and not the man who had comparatively set him free. He saw, too, that the hand of his visitor grasped a weapon, which Marchdale thought that, favored by the darkness, he might carry openly in perfect security. "'Where are you?' said Marchdale. "'I cannot see you.' "'Here,' said Charles. "'You may feel my grip.' And he sprung upon him in an instant. The attack was so sudden and so utterly unexpected that Marchdale was thrown backwards, and the dagger rested from his grasp during the first impulse which Charles Olland had thrown into his attack. Moreover, 
his head struck with such violence against the earthen floor that it produced a temporary confusion of his faculties, so that, had Charles Holland been so inclined, he might, with Marchdale's own weapon, have easily taken his life. The man did, on the impulse of the moment, raise it in his hand, but, on the impulse of another thought, he cast it from him, exclaiming, No, no, not that. I should be as bad as he, or, or nearly so. This villain has come to murder me, yet I will not take his life for the deed. What shall I do with him? <laughs> A lucky thought? Chains! He dragged Marchdale to the identical spot of earth on which he had lain so long, and as Sir Francis Forney had left the key of the padlock which bound the chains together in it, he in a few moments had succeeded in placing the villain Marchdale in the same durance from which he himself shortly since escaped. Remain there, he said, until someone comes to rescue you. I will not let you starve to death, but I, I will give you a long fast, and when I come again it shall be along with some of the Bannerworth family, to show them what a viper they have fostered in their hearts. Marchdale was just sufficiently conscious now to feel all the realities of his situation. In vain he attempted to rise from his prostrate condition. The chains did their duty, keeping down a villain with the same means that they had held in ignominious confinement a true man. He was in a perfect agony, insomuch as he considered that he would be allowed to remain there to starve to death, thus achieving for himself a more horrible death than any he had ever thought of inflicting. Villain! exclaimed Charles Holland. You shall there remain, and let you have what mental sufferings you may. You richly deserve them. He heeded not the cries of Marchdale. He heeded not his imprecations any more than he did his prayers, and the arch-hypocrite used both in abundance. Charles was but too happy to look once more upon the open sky, although it was then in darkness to heed anything that Marchdale, in the agony in which he was now reduced, might feel inclined to say. And, after glancing around him for some few moments, when he was free of the rooms, and inhaling with exquisite delight the free air of the surrounding meadows, he saw by the twinkling of the lights in which direction the town lay. And, knowing that by taking a line in that path, and then after a time diverging a little to the right, he should come to Bannerworth Hall. He walked on, never in his whole life probably feeling such an enjoyment of the mere fact of existence as at such a moment as that of exquisite liberty. Our readers may with us imagine what it is to taste the free, fresh air of heaven, after being long pent up as he, Charles Holland, had been, in a damp, noisome dungeon, teeming with unwholesome exhalations. They may well suppose with what an amount of rapture he now found himself unrestrained in his movements by those galling fetters which had hung for so long a period upon his youthful limbs, and which, not infrequently, in the despair of his heart, he had thought he would surely die in. And last, though not least in his dear esteem, did the rapture of his thought of once more looking in the sweet face of her he loved come across him with a gust of delight. Yes! he exclaimed as he quickened his pace. Yes, I shall be able to tell Flora Bannerworth how well and truly I love her. I shall be able to tell her that, in my weary and hideous imprisonment, the thought alone of her has supported me. As he neared the hall, he quickened his pace to such an extent that soon he was forced to pause altogether, as the exertion he had undertaken pretty plainly told him that the imprisonment, scanty diet, and want of exercise which had been his portion for some time past, had most materially decreased his strength. His limbs trembled, and a profuse perspiration bedewed his brow, although the night was rather cold otherwise. 
I am very weak, he said, and I much wonder now that I succeeded in overcoming that villain Marchdale, who, if I had not done so, would most assuredly have murdered me, he said. And it was a wonder, for Marchdale was not an old man, although he might be considered certainly as past the prime of life, and he was of a strong and athletic build. But it was the suddenness of this attack upon him which had given Charles Holland the great advantage, and had caused the defeat of the ruffian who came bent on one of the most cowardly and dastardly murders that could be committed, namely, upon an unoffending man whom he supposed to be loaded with chains and incapable of making the least efficient resistance. Charles soon again recovered sufficient breath and strength to proceed towards the hall, and now warned by the exhaustion which had come over him that he had not really anything like strength enough to allow him to proceed rapidly, he walked with slow and deliberate steps. This mode of proceeding was more favorable to reflection than the wild, rapid one which he had at first adopted, and in all the glowing colors of youthful and ingenious fancy did he depict to himself the surprise and the pleasure that would beam in the countenance of his beloved Flora when she should find him once again by her side. Of course he, Charles, could know nothing of the contrivances which had been resorted to, and which the reader may lay wholly to the charge of Marchdale to blacken his character, and to make him appear faithless to the love he had professed. Had he known this, it is probable that indignation would have added wings to his progress, and he would not have been able to proceed at the leisurely pace he felt his state of physical weakness dictated to him. And now he saw that the topmost portion of Bannerworth Hall, pushing out from amongst the trees which the ancient pile was so much surrounded, and the sight of the home of his beloved revived him, and quickened the circulation of the warm blood in his veins. I shall behold her now, he said. I shall behold her now, a few minutes more, and I shall hold her to my heart, that heart which has ever been hers, which carried her image enshrined in its deepest recesses, even into the gloom of a dungeon. But let us, while Charles Holland is indulging in these delightful anticipations, anticipations which we regret in the consequence of the departure of the Bannerworths from the hall, will not be realized so soon as he supposes look back upon the discomfited hypocrite and villain Marchdale, who occupies his place in the dungeon of the old ruins. Until Charles Holland had actually left the strange, horrible, and cell-like place, he could scarcely make up his mind that the young man entertained a serious intention of leaving him there. Perhaps he did not think anyone could be so cruel and so wicked as he himself for well, the reader will no doubt recollect that his, Marchdale's, counsel to Varney was to leave Charles Holland to his fate, chained down as he was in the dungeon, and that fate would have been the horrible one of being starved to death in the course of a few days. When now, however, he felt confident that he was deserted, when he heard the sound of Charles Holland's repeating footsteps slowly dying away in the distance, until not the faintest echo of them reached his ears, he despaired indeed and the horror he experienced during the succeeding ten minutes might be considered ample atonement for some of his crimes. His brain was in a complete whirl, nothing of a tangible nature, that he was there, chained down, and left to starve to death, came across his intellect, and a kind of madness for a moment or two took possession of him, and he made a tremendous effort to burst asunder the bands that held him, but it was in vain. 
the chains which had been placed upon Charles Holland during the first few days of his confinement, when he had a little recovered from the effects of the violence which had been committed upon him at the time when he was captured, effectually resisted Marchdale. They even cut into his flesh, inflicting upon him some grievous wounds. But that was all he achieved by his great effort to free himself, so that after a few moments, bleeding and in great pain, he, with a deep groan, desisted from the fruitless efforts he had better not to have commenced. Then he remained silent for a time, but it was not the silence of reflection. It was that of exhaustion, and as such was not likely to last long, nor did it, for in the course of another five minutes he called out loudly. Perhaps he thought there might be a remote chance that someone traversing the meadows would hear him, and yet... If he had duly considered the matter, which he was not in a fitting frame of mind to do, he would have recollected that, in choosing a dungeon among the underground vaults of these rooms, he had, by experiment, made certain that no cry, however loud from where he lay, could reach the upper air. And thus had this villain, by the very cautions which he had himself taken to ensure the safe custody of another, been his own greatest enemy. Help! 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 he cried frantically. Barney! Charles Holland! Have mercy upon me and do not leave me here to starve. Help, O oh, heaven! Curses on all your heads! Curses! O oh, mercy! 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 In such like incoherent expressions did he pass some hours, until, what with exhaustion and a raging thirst that came over him, he could not utter another word but lay the very picture of despair and discomfited malice and wickedness. End of chapter 68